Welcome to Highland Objects, podcasts that take you on a cultural tour of the Highlands and Islands of Scotland. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Highland Objects or visit the website highlandobjects.wordpress.com. Podcast 31. A composite blue glass stud. My name is Cecily Spall. I'm an archaeologist and a trustee for the Tarbot Historic Trust, who oversee and run the Tarbot Discovery Centre, a Pictish and local heritage museum in Port Mahomet near Tain. The Tarbot Discovery Centre makes its home in the former medieval church of St Colman, which was founded in the 12th century at the site of an ancient Pictish monastery. The site was excavated by archaeologists beginning back in 1994. The following 13 summer seasons of work revealed a most fantastic site, with a past stretching from the 6th right through to the 16th centuries. The Tarbot Blue Glass Stud is a find which I've chosen to talk to you about today. It's a tiny find with a big story behind it, and its true importance emerged slowly over a period of time. It wasn't like one of those finds where you know exactly what it is as soon as you see it, and then understand exactly how important it is right in that very moment. But I do still remember the day when it came into the finds hut, having been found by somebody working on a troweling line, which had started to turn up a remarkable assemblage of evidence for metal and glass working. The troweling line was repeatedly bringing finds of crucible fragments, clay mould fragments, and the occasional glass dribble or blob into the finds hut. So we already knew that this area was rich in craft-working debris. The area of the site which was being carefully explored lies about 100 metres from the Tarbot Discovery Centre. Sometime during the 8th century, these finds had been thrown into the last backfilling of a monastic boundary ditch, and this had kept them safely below the level of the farmer's plough. So these finds waited there in the backfill of the ditch for about 1,200 years, until the troweling line passed over them to rediscover them. The blue glass stud was put into a small finds bag and its location was recorded, along with hundreds of other small finds, and then taken into the site hut for processing. The stud didn't look like much at all at first. It was tiny, it was covered in damp soil, but a small glimpse through this muddy covering allowed us to see that it was made of dark, almost midnight blue glass. The stud is small, circular, about the size of a thumbnail with a slightly domed surface and down one side the stud was missing a small chip of glass. This was older damage and we suspected it was the reason that it had been thrown away. Whoever had made it had chipped it during making it and it couldn't be used or repaired and you can almost feel the frustration of the craftsman throwing a small find away. At the point of this old damage, this old chip, it was possible to see the stump of a thin, snapped wire made of metal, which had been clearly and very carefully embedded in the surface of the stud. The upper surface of the stud was caked and smeared in a greenish-yellow material, which formed a crust over the top of the stud's surface so you couldn't really see any further detail. Glass which has been buried in the ground can become unstable once removed from its burial soil, so the stud got some very careful first aid. It was dried very slowly, out of the way of strong light, and we used to check on it like a sleeping child until we knew it was safely dried out. This was a critical moment because glass, if it's dried out incorrectly, can split 
and morph out of shape. Once the first aid had been applied, the mud covering was actually left in place, the stud was packaged carefully in a nest of special foam in a small box and was taken to its next destination, which is the conservator's desk. So just as limbs with broken bones are analysed using x-rays in hospital, the stud was taken for x-ray by a conservator in the hope that it would enable us to see through the mud crust and the dark glass to reveal the inlaid metal wire. Just as we hoped, the resulting x-ray plate unlocked our understanding of the blue glass stud and told us an awful lot about how it had been made. Like soft tissue in a hospital x-ray, the x-rays had passed through the blue glass relatively easily, leaving just a faint outline of its shape visible on the x-ray plate. The inlaid wire, on the other hand, stood out like an embedded object and we could see it clearly as a series of vivid, bright white geometric lines revealing the design of the silver wire we first glimpsed when the stud came out of the ground. The design of the wire is set out in a circle which follows the edge of the stud surface and inside the circle there were three curving lines forming an open Y shape almost like a triangle with indented sides and from the centre of this Y shape three zigzag lines radiated and they kinked in a zigzag almost like dog legs. The inlaid wire thus formed small geometric cells in the surface of the stud and this gave up the secret of the greenish yellow covering that we saw when the, the stud was first found. So this crusty covering was made of more glass or enamel which had decayed over time and it lost its clarity and lost its colour. But it was clear from the x-ray to see that the glass had been fused deliberately onto the surface of the blue and had been contained within the cells of the inlaid wire. For example, the curving Y-shape had been picked out in another coloured glass. Today it's decayed a pale yellowish white. It may once have been a brighter yellow or perhaps a red inlaid glass to provide a clear contrast with the silver wire and the blue glass beneath. The stud was then carefully cleaned by a conservator using a high-powered microscope to see the surface of the stud more clearly. The mud was gently cleaned away and the surface crust was removed using a scalpel to reveal the remains of glass or enamel inlay and the silver wire design. Once all of this careful work was completed, it was possible to see, as closely as is possible after a period of a thousand years, what the stud looked like when it was first made, how it had been made and what it may have been used for. The blue glass used to make the stud was not from raw materials in Port Mahomet, but had made its way here across long trade routes from its place of manufacture, which was the Mediterranean. The Mediterranean was the centre for raw glass production in the early medieval period. Here, vast quantities of raw glass were made in large slabs, which were then broken down for trade and exchange. So by the time it reached Port Mahomet, the glass was a, a very long way from home, almost 2,000 miles and it would have been viewed as extremely rare and exotic. Even very small amounts, because they were difficult to come by, were very highly prized. The silver wire used is likely to have come from silver, which arrived in Scotland originally during the Roman period, perhaps as coinage or larger items. By the 8th century, it may have arrived at the workshops in Port Mahomet in the form of a silver ingot and would have been worked into a fine wire by a very accomplished silversmith who had the skills to carefully anneal and heat the wire to prevent it from snapping while also keeping some malleability to the silver. The inlaid glass or enamel may have been coloured on site by adding lead oxides to raw glass and combining them in special crucibles. So the fusion of the glass and silver and enamel on the stud 
reflects the incredible fusion of craftsmanship involved in its making, and in turn, it reflects the incredible fusion of art and craft which was present in the monastic workshops. The stud was made in the image of other glass and metal studs which survive on contemporary 8th century masterpieces, and the one I want to draw your attention to the most is a piece of ecclesiastical equipment known as the Derry-Naflan pattern. The pattern was part of a collection of five liturgical vessels known as the Derry-Naflan hoard. The hoard was found in 1980 at Derry-Naflan, which was the site of an ancient Irish monastery and today is an island of pastureland surrounded by waterlogged bogs near the small town of Killanall in County Tipperary. The hoard included a chalice, the silver pattern with its stand a liturgical wine strainer. They'd all been buried inside a large bronze basin. A pattern is a flat dish that would have been used to hold and distribute the communion host during the celebration of Mass and used alongside a wine-filled chalice, with both the host and the wine being offered to the celebrants. The Derry Flan pattern was assembled from over 300 separate components and is actually the only large-scale pattern to survive from early medieval Europe. Its craftsmanship and beauty breathtaking. It's worth noting some of the decorative details and techniques of the Dona Flan pattern. The plate itself is made from beaten silver, trimmed with silver wire mesh, bordered by a ring of gold filigree panels with depictions of kneeling men, spirals, interlace and zoomorphs of eagles and serpents. The rim of the pattern contains 24 separate panels, each richly and intricately decorated, pressed onto gold and silver foil bordered by copper and silver wire. The panels are interspersed with 24 gold polychrome glass and neolo studs which hide the rivets which hold the parts of the pattern's construction together. The Tarbot blue glass stud matches the composition, design and size of these studs so precisely it's highly likely that the same craftsperson who worked on the Derry Flan pattern was also at work in Port Mahomoc. Perhaps this small blue glass stud, broken during manufacture, was intended to be fitted onto the Derry Flan pattern. We shall never know, but perhaps we can ask the question, why not? So, this small diminutive glass stud carries with it a thousand stories, connecting Port Mahomoc to places thousands of miles away. But it places the international expertise and craftsmanship required to make it right here in Port Mahomoc. Highland Objects is brought to you by Expo North Heritage which is supported by Museums and Heritage Highland, Museums Gallery Scotland, Creative Scotland, Highlands and Islands Enterprise and Historic Environment Scotland. <laughs>